Welcome to the Alpha Dude Podcast with Michael Pulser. What would it be like if you knew that you were unstoppable and you could live life on your terms? Better yet, how good would it feel knowing that on your deathbed, you had fulfilled all your potential and more? Life on Earth has a beginning and an end. It's what you do in the middle that counts. Let's look at how to make that part even better. Gratitude. For thousands of years, people have been giving thanks to God. And it's incredibly powerful. By taking things for granted, not appreciating what we have, we become complacent. And this breeds negativity. In today's society, we are incredibly blessed, privileged, and entitled, especially in the West. Too often we compare ourselves to others more successful or well-off, and this is great in some instances. If you do this in the right way, it might drive you forward. It might inspire or motivate you to do better. Yet, usually, it just breeds contempt. Usually, it breeds jealousy. It makes us feel that life is unfair, and it leads to general negativity. Remember this. If you compare yourself with more successful people to inspire you or drive you, that's great. But if you compare yourself with people in a terrible situation, then it will make you feel better about your station in life. That's the way you compare yourself if you're going to compare yourself to other people. If you get that back to front and if you compare yourself to other people that are really successful, just to feel bad about yourself, you're wasting your time. And similarly, if you compare yourself to other people that are just in such a terrible situation, you're not driven to go forward at all, then that's going to work against you. Besides all of this, probably the best thing to do is to compare yourself to you and then make the changes. So how do we do this? The first thing is that you look around yourself and you appreciate where you are and who you are. But this advice is kind of like the psychologist saying that if you're down, just be happy. So to give a more concrete example, here's some homework for you. Watch the Guide Dog documentary. I think it's on Amazon and it's probably called Pick of the Bunch. It's this really incredible documentation about how they get these blind dogs and train them up and give them to these poor people who just don't have their eyesight. And just seeing these people and how they lack this sense will give you an appreciation for your own eyesight. Or you can go back in history and look at how other people have suffered, how many people suffered these crazy diseases before there was any technology to help them the massive death rate, the struggles, the discomforts, the pains that people went through before technology was there to enhance and make their lives easier. Or you can even compound it. Look at illnesses in the past where you've got diseases without good treatments. Or if you do have treatments, you've got procedures without analgesia. Now, one of the very most famous cases is from a famous novelist, diarist, and playwright, Frances Bernie Diable, 1752. She wrote a whole heap of books, had critical acclaim, but one thing that was defining in her life 
was the fact that she developed breast cancer in the year 1811. Now she was diagnosed in September. The surgeon agreed to operate on her. In walked seven men dressed in black. The doctors who communicated to her husband spoke in hushed tones and used body language, which she inferred meant that they would remove her entire breast. The next thing she saw as she was being held down was the shining silver knife that was going to cut her breast off. And then the operation started. It lasted for three hours and 45 minutes. Without the aid of any anaesthetic, they removed the entire breast while she was in an extreme amount of pain. Now, I don't know about you, but just hearing this story makes you feel two emotions. First one is massively happy that we're not in this situation, that we're not in this amount of pain, but of course massively empathetic for these people who have endured such hardships. So let that sink in. Let all of those hardships that other people have been through, all the negative things, and the next time you feel ripped off, the next time you feel depressed, the next time you feel unhappy, be thankful. Thank God. Thank each other. You will then thank yourself. And this will powerfully transform you from being entitled and low to being appreciative, happy, and maybe even hungry for what's ahead of you next. Gratitude is an absolutely essential aspect to living. And a lot of people think that this world is simply just a world of materialism, a world of cause and effect, but it's not. And our next guest, Dane, is on to discuss his journey. Since his first spiritual awakening in 2004, he has dedicated his life to understanding the secrets of flow states and optimal human performance. Here's Dane. Hi, I'm Dane Dormio. I'm a martial artist and mind-body mastery mentor. And today I'd like to talk about how my own mind-body mastery journey got started and some of the places it's taken me along the way. I grew up as a rational materialistic atheist in the Bible Belt. And for the first 22 years of my life, I had no conception whatsoever of spiritual consciousness. From very early on, I rejected many facets of what I perceived as delusions of mainstream culture, religion and spirituality in general being among them. I also rejected television, capitalism, government, and marriage, among other things. Something I was deeply passionate about, you might say obsessed with, from very early on, was martial arts. I basically wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. So when I was 10, my parents signed me up for lessons at the local Taekwondo chain. It was a kind of place where I started at age 10, had a black belt at age 12, and a second degree black belt at age 14. After that, I branched out into other martial arts, including Chinese, Japanese, Brazilian, and Filipino styles. What they all had in common was that they were all external styles, meaning that the emphasis was on athleticism and external results, such as 
physical fitness, jumping around, kicking high, and all those kinds of things. Something else that interested me from a very young age was ancient stories and mythology. I enjoyed reading the Greek myths, and I found and read copies of the Panchatantra and Tao Te Ching. I thought the Panchatantra was really cool, but at the time the Tao Te Ching didn't make a lot of sense to me and mostly came across as a bunch of gobbledygook. In college I studied math and physics, but I went to a small private liberal arts school where everyone had to take a little bit of everything. The class I took for my religion elective was Buddhism. I learned about the story of Gotama as well as other Buddhist figures and the phenomenon of Satori, instantaneous awakening. There were neat stories, but purely intellectual for me at the time. I also kept learning new martial arts, including Japanese, Chinese, and Brazilian martial arts, all still externally focused. I tried out a Tai Chi class, but I found I didn't have the patience for it at the time. For graduate school, I moved to the West Coast, still studying math and physics, and still on the lookout for new martial arts to learn. I saw a flyer for a place called the Kung Fu Academy and decided to check it out. It turned out this was a school that taught internal Kung Fu, largely rooted in the Tai Chi classics. If it had been called the Tai Chi Academy, I probably wouldn't have gone, but I found the training to be very effective for where I was in my development. In internal martial arts, the emphasis is on what is going on inside the body, and the focus is on sensation, awareness, moving slowly and breathing, and deep concentration. What I didn't understand at the time was that I was actually playing with fire, in the sense that the foundation of internal martial arts is Qigong, which is one of the oldest enlightenment practices. Qigong means energy work and it's one of the three main branches of traditional Chinese medicine, along with acupuncture and herbology. It's basically a combination of exercise, breathwork, and meditation, also known as the three regulations, body regulation, breath regulation, and mind regulation. There are actually three main branches of Qigong, which are medical Qigong, which is for cultivating health, wellness, and longevity, martial Qigong, which is for cultivating performance enhancement and is the foundation of all internal martial arts, and spiritual Qigong, which is for refining the vital energy and cultivating higher states of awareness. When I first started getting into it, I wasn't aware of any of this. I was just looking for some cool new martial arts to do. But after about six months of moving slowly, breathing consciously, and paying attention to the sensations inside my body, a curious thing happened. I was in my room practicing one evening, which I'd come to spend a lot of time doing, and there was an instant when suddenly everything changed, yet everything was exactly the same. It was as if the entire universe, or at least my mode of perceiving it, had gone through a sudden phase shift. The first thought that went through my mind was, Oh, that's what that was. If you could imagine reading a detailed description of a giraffe, but never seeing a picture of one, and then going on a safari and seeing one in real life, you would be able to recognize what it was, even though you'd never seen one, 
if the description was detailed enough. In that instant, I recognized that I'd come face to face with the self-evident and undeniable foundational bedrock of reality, and I could never again unsee it. I recognized that this experience had happened to others throughout history, and certainly before, and that some had written about the experience or had stories told about them. There are three aspects of the Satori experience that are well documented. The first is the instantaneous awakening, which happens in an instant. The second is the transient peak state, which in my case lasted around three months. The third is the residual awareness, which is permanent. In that moment, I experientially realized a number of things all at once. Among them that, the entire universe and everything in it is alive, aware, and intelligent. There's no such thing as inanimate matter. There's just one consciousness, and we are all it. Each sentient being is a distinct instance of the universe, I-ing itself. Anything is possible. Human potential is unlimited. This includes my potential. All people are natural teachers and healers. The entire universe and everything in it, including me, is continually evolving and improving. Joy, growth, and learning are our natural state. The furthest reaches of the cosmos and the deepest reaches of the psyche are one and the same. What we normally think of as reality is an illusion. All of reality exists within consciousness. There is a stream of energy, information, and consciousness flowing through all life, including me. The universe has always been here and always will be. It can't not exist. In four dimensions, there's a past and a future. But in five dimensions, the entire past and future coexist simultaneously. During the three months of the peak state, when the portal of my perception remained fully open, there were a number of interesting phenomena that occurred. The most descriptive way to put it is that it was very much like what happens to the protagonist in the movie Limitless, which was about a superhuman potential pill, except that it was on all the time and there was no little pill involved. Among the phenomena that I observed during this time were, I felt a constant flow of energy through the center of my body as long as I maintained internal congruence. But if I deviated from internal congruence in any way, even for a second, by thought, word, posture, or deed, I would immediately feel the flow of energy cut off until I regained internal congruence. It seemed as if my reticular activating system was rubber stamping everything. The 95% of sensory data that normally gets filtered out of conscious awareness was all available to me. There was nothing that I perceived but didn't notice. This imbued every detail in each moment with a profound sense of significance. It also gave me an acute awareness of what other people were thinking and feeling and the flows of interpersonal energy. In addition to my present perceptions, 
It seemed as if everything I had ever perceived but not noticed in the past, essentially my entire subliminal memory bank, was available to me. For example, I began synthesizing and regurgitating pages upon pages of insights about neural nets, even though I had never formally studied them and hadn't realized that I knew anything about them. My martial arts underwent a dramatic improvement. Up to that point, I was like an aficionado who collected all the best tools but had no idea how to use them. I could do all kinds of tricks and stunts, but I had no idea how to actually use my body effectively, and I couldn't have fought my way out of a wet paper bag. However, I suddenly gained access to a much deeper level of control and sensitivity in my body, and learned how to use internal strength for the first time. It was as if I had finally gained access to all the tools I'd been collecting and become able to use them effectively. I realized that in studying all the different martial arts I had, I was really just studying different subsets of Tai Chi, which deals with the universal principles of movement, and I was finally able to synthesize and integrate all of that knowledge. I read the Tao Te Ching again, and everything in it made perfect sense. It seemed as crystal clear as if I was sitting down in the same room with the author, having a direct conversation, or even more than that, an intergenerational Vulcan mind meld, as if I was directly absorbing the wisdom and perspective of whatever individual, group, or open source collaborative effort gave rise to the work. This is when I recognized that I was a Taoist. I recognized that Taoism and Buddhism are essentially the same philosophy in different clothing, and the Taoism is more my style. I had the sense that everything was a mystery and that nothing was, or that everything was a surprise and nothing was. All of my philosophical and existential conundrums had come unbound, and I had no questions that were unanswered. Whether God exists, what happens after we die, the mind-body problem, the existence of free will, and other such classical philosophical ruminations became obvious non-issues for me. I realized that I was not the only one who had had this experience, and I became able to recognize others who had had this experience through their writing. Coincidentally, I came across and read Siddhartha at this time, and recognized Hermann Hesse as an example. I also became able to recognize other people who had had this experience through direct contact, and I've come across a handful of notable examples. The knowingness is conveyed more through eye contact and presence than through verbal interaction. I realized that humanity was on the verge of an enormous transition, and that it would take place within my lifetime. This transition was of a nature and magnitude such that those of us currently living on this side of it weren't equipped to imagine what life would be like on the other side. And those born on the other side of it wouldn't be equipped to imagine what life had been like on this side. What we call human civilization would be so different on the other side of this transition as to be almost unrecognizable. Later, I learned about the concept of the technological singularity and realized that others had also been thinking about this. I saw clearly and distinctly from the highest level what my purpose is in this lifetime, which is to publish a comprehensive work called the Principia Humanica, which will be designed to unify the intellectual disciplines 
lead many individuals to enlightenment, define a clear shared purpose for the existence of humanity, and usher in a new era of human understanding and existence. This vision has been further revealed to me in stages as the years have gone by. This event I've been describing was the first major spiritual awakening of my life, and the largest one, but I've, I have experienced a few other openings of comparable magnitude over the years. One was triggered by listening to the audiobook version of Getting Things Done by David Allen, which provided a major upgrade to my cognitive operating system. Another coincided with a spiritual emergency that manifested as a manic episode that crashed into suicidal depression, and which I overcame by reaching out to my spiritual allies as well as my earthly allies for help. Since the initial event, I'm even less inclined than ever to identify with any kind of label, or even with myself as an individual, or with anything other than a particular instance of universal consciousness. I think of myself as an earthling rather than as an American, a southerner, a socioeconomic class, a political party, a career, or an ideology, philosophy, or religion. I can also see that there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who have come awake spiritually and realized their true nature already, and those who haven't yet. Within my lifetime, the world has gone from entirely offline to mostly online via the birth and expansion of the internet. I foresee a similar expansion of human consciousness on the planet, such that within my lifetime, most if not all of humanity will have undergone a spiritual awakening experience and realized their true nature. That is what the entirety of my life's work is dedicated to in one form or another. I believe that these mind-body tools are a significant part of the key to humanity's ascension, which is why my mission on this planet is to help as many people as possible to establish a personal, daily, mind-body, energetic hygiene practice. In my work, I primarily emphasize the benefits of Qigong for performance enhancement as well as practical health, wellness, and longevity, more so than for spiritual development. And I can't guarantee that adopting this practice will lead to you becoming, quote-unquote, enlightened. But I do know from my experience, as well as other sources, that it just might be an important piece of the puzzle. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If so, rate it from the place you downloaded it. For any questions, send an email to michaelpulser at gmail.com.